Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. Kevin Hogan here. Let's take a look at our top stories. Russian forces seize a major nuclear power plant in Ukraine. A fire there has been put out, but questions and concerns remain. We hear from both sides. Experts warn about the danger of warfare around a nuclear reactor in Ukraine. Some say if the plant's cooling function is lost, the world could see a repeat of the Fukushima disaster. A meeting of NATO foreign ministers is underway in Brussels. Allies are united in their condemnation of the Russian attack near a Ukrainian nuclear site. More Russians are speaking out against President Putin's invasion into Ukraine. They include a famous actress, a former world chess champion, and a theater director in Moscow. Ukrainian officials say they've put out a fire at a nuclear power plant in southeastern Ukraine. It's the largest nuclear plant in Europe. Ukraine and Russia are blaming each other for the attack. The good news? Officials say radiation levels have not been elevated. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. Firefighters put out a blaze at the site of Europe's biggest nuclear power plant Friday after Russian forces seized it. It's located in the southeast of Ukraine. Ukraine says this video shows Russian troops firing at the plant overnight. In a video uploaded to his Facebook account, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky called on Europe to prevent a, quote, nuclear catastrophe, saying only immediate action from Europe can stop Russian troops. We are warning everybody. Not a single state apart from Russia has ever shelled nuclear reactors. Officials say the fire was in a training center, not at the plant itself. While Ukraine blames the attack on Russia, Russia blames the attack on Ukrainian saboteurs. A Russian defense ministry spokesman said the area had been under Russian control since Monday and that in the early hours Friday, Ukrainian saboteurs attacked a Russian patrol unit to provoke return fire on the building. The purpose of the provocation of the Kyiv regime at a nuclear facility is an attempt to accuse Russia of creating a source of radioactive contamination. He said the nuclear plant is now operating normally. The UN's nuclear chief says no damage was done to the reactors, and an official at the state enterprise that runs the plant said radiation levels are normal. NTD couldn't independently verify either the Russian or the Ukrainian account of what happened. Meanwhile, Russia's defense ministry Thursday released footage of Russian forces entering the Kyiv region. A U.S. defense official said Russian troops were still 16 miles from Kyiv's city center. At the ceasefire talks Thursday, Russia and Ukraine agreed to set up humanitarian corridors to evacuate citizens from combat zones. The corridors would also reportedly help with the delivery of food and medicine to places with the heaviest fighting. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. A recipe for disaster. That's what a nuclear expert warns of as war wages near a nuclear power plant in Ukraine. Fires there are worrying safety experts. Russian military attacks coincided with a Friday fire in Europe's largest power plant. It's located in southern Ukraine. Now a nuclear expert is sharing a dire warning. Unfortunately, we could be quite close to a catastrophe. Um, When you have active military operations, including shelling, missiles, when you have active nuclear power plants, um, it's just a recipe for disaster. And all it takes is one missile that goes off or like we see, you know, some shelling that results in a fire. The Russian military has seized the plant and Ukrainian emergency services say the fire has been put out. A nuclear expert in Japan says there could be a repeat of the Fukushima disaster in Ukraine. That's if the power plant's cooling function is lost. 
The fire, the seriousness of the matter will depend on where the fire is happening, whether or not it is on the premises of the nuclear power plant, and whether it is really happening at the nuclear reactor building or not. James Acton is the co-director of the Nuclear Policy Program at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. He says that it's extremely important for Russia to keep all military operations away from nuclear power plants. What I want to emphasize, though, is that there was real danger tonight. Um, a fire at a nuclear power plant is a dangerous thing, especially if firefighters are not able to reach the plant because they're literally being shot at on the way there. Acton says the likelihood of a meltdown is very small in peacetime, but during war, it's much more likely. He says direct bombardment on the plant could lead to a crisis, but points out something even more alarming, that the electricity for the plant's safety systems could get cut off, which might cause a meltdown. Acton also notes nuclear plants rely heavily on power from outside grids. Acton is concerned about subpar backup power systems as well. According to Ukrainian officials, radiation levels in the area are not at dangerous levels. NATO foreign ministers met today for a special summit on Ukraine, and Ukraine is calling on Western allies to implement a no-fly zone or provide them with more planes to protect civilians and infrastructure. A NATO foreign ministers meeting was held in Brussels on Friday to discuss Russia's invasion of Ukraine. At a press conference, NATO Secretary General denounced Russia's attack near the Zaporozhye nuclear site. We condemn the attacks on civilians uh, and over the night we have also seen reports about the attack against the nuclear power plant. Uh, this just demonstrates the rec recklessness of this war and the importance of uh, ending it. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says NATO will act defensively in response to the conflict. We seek no conflict, but if conflict comes to us, we're ready for it and we will defend every inch of NATO territory. A shell reportedly hit and burned a building in the fighting near Ukraine's largest nuclear power plant. According to the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency, the site's nuclear reactor remains safe. All the safety systems of the six reactors at the plant were not affected at all. He showed an overhead view of the area near the reactor. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz said Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky briefed him overnight on the situation. He confirmed the fire was already under control. Also attending the NATO summit, British Foreign Minister Liz Truss voiced her condemnation. This is a threat to European security and stability, and we need those responsible to be held to account. The UK's defense minister, Ben Wallace, called on Putin to stop targeting nuclear sites. It's incredibly dangerous. It's not just dangerous for uh, Ukraine and the Russians, it's dangerous for Europe. Uh, and, uh, you know, it is playing with fire that really uh, was, is beyond uh, anything to do with logic or, or necessity. And Prior to the NATO summit, Kyiv has renewed calls for a no-fly zone to protect its civilians. But some EU allies do not see this as a viable option. Uh, no-fly zone means NATO being in a conflict since it would be NATO's forces enforcing this uh, no-fly zone. However, uh, the Czech Republic and other states are supplying weapons to Ukrainians so Ukrainians can enforce their uh, no-fly zone. This, this, is, this, this is the proper solution. Okay. Zelensky said allies should provide more warplanes to Kyiv if they are unwilling to protect Ukraine's airspace. 
Russian President Vladimir Putin told German Chancellor Olaf Scholz that a third round of talks between Russia and Ukraine has been scheduled for this weekend. That's according to a readout from Germany's chancellery following a telephone call between the two heads of state on Friday. Russia passed a law that takes an even tougher stance on what it is calling unofficial reporting and disinformation regarding its actions in Ukraine. The country's parliament met in a special session to create a bill that would make so-called unofficial reporting illegal. It is now a crime that is punishable by up to 15 years in prison. Moscow asserts that the legislation is designed to fight fake information about Russia's war in Ukraine. A Russian official said in an interview with a state broadcaster that the bill aims to punish those who knowingly distort the purpose, role, and tasks of the Russian armed forces. The official said that news on the war that he considers fake serves to demoralize society and undermine confidence in the Russian army. He says it's a huge blow to the fighters' relatives and friends. Russia's state media regulator has already shut down several media outlets since the attack began and threatens to block more. Russian television channel Dojd is temporarily halting its work, its general director said on Thursday. This comes after its website was blocked earlier this week. Natalia Sendiva is the general director of the TV station. She issued a statement after Echo Moskvi radio station closed, following pressure over its coverage of the war in Ukraine. It was one of the Russia's last remaining liberal media outlets. Sendiva said in a published statement on the channel's website, We really hope that someday we will be back on the air but we don't know yet how, where, and on which platforms it can happen. It's proving hard for Russians to publicly protest the invasion into Ukraine. So far, thousands of anti-war protesters have been detained. However, many public figures in Russia are speaking out. Here are the details. A former Russian world chess champion, Garry Kasparov, is publicly condemning President Putin's decision to invade Ukraine. He says the West needs to do more to punish Putin's regime. Russia must be kicked from all international organizations, including Interpol. Um, Financial blockade must be full. Now it's not full. There's still loopholes, and they must be closed immediately. Technologically, total ban. He says he's not impressed by how the U.S. has reacted so far, and that the U.S. can do more to counter Putin. I hope that Americans will will revise uh, their strategy and will show strengths. No, no, never in history. Dictator was stopped by, by uh, restraint. Dictator already st- started an um, uh, aggressive war, and he has committed war crimes beyond imagination. At a major United Nations climate conference on Sunday, the head of the Russian delegation, Oleg Anisimov, apologized for the invasion. He said, let me present an apology on behalf of all Russians not able to prevent this conflict, and calls the invasion unjustified. This is according to sources who were present at the closed-door virtual meeting. One of Russia's most well-known actresses, Leah Akajakova, is also speaking out against the war. In an interview with British broadcaster Channel 4, she says she's going to cry seeing pictures coming out of Kyiv. She calls present-day Russia an empire of lies and says only the world can change the situation. And in Moscow, the director of a state-run theater publicly denounced Putin as a killer and left her post. The director, Elena Kovalskaya, wrote on Facebook that, in protest against the Russian invasion of Ukraine, I am resigning. You can't work for a killer and get paid by him. And a Russian punk rock band is launching a non-fungible token to help Ukraine. 
The price of the non-fungible token skyrocketed after the ban launched it last Saturday. They plan to sell the non-fungible token and donate the money to Ukraine's civilian organizations. Looking at bombed houses in Kiev makes me heartbroken. Uh, but um, it gives me so much inspiration uh, as a human being to see that Ukrainians are fighting back. Uh, Putin definitely was um, expecting that they will run away um, immediately, scared of a giant Russian army. According to a protest monitoring group called OVD Info, over 7,600 people have been detained at anti-war protests across Russia since the war began. On the ground, Ukrainians are fleeing their homes in droves. Our reporter Anna Varava hears from some of those seeking safety. UN estimates that up to 4 million people may leave Ukraine. People are crossing the borders with neighboring countries such as Slovakia, Hungary, Moldova and Hungary. Trains to Budapest run daily from this station in Mukachevo in the Transcarpathian region. All tickets are selling out five days in advance. At the same time, men from 18 to 60 years old cannot leave the country, according to a presidential decree. A woman from Kyiv leaves for Budapest with her mother and daughter. My husband and I had our own business, which developed well. We bought a new apartment and now we're here. But it's impossible to stay here. People are constantly under a lot of pressure. There are constant bombings. When the war started, we were in Gostmel and it was five kilometers from the airport. We were at home and bombs flew over a house and exploded and we did not sleep all night. We decided to leave and we've been on the road for a very long time. A plane crashed near a house and a rocket hit the house. We've ran out of food. Ekaterina says she's afraid that she might not come back. We don't know if we'll be back. We really want to go home to our normal life. We had a very good life. We were friends with everyone and we're very happy in Ukraine. We just want to live in peace with our families and children. We want peace. While the family plans to return as soon as possible, Andrei, a student from Kharkiv, wants to stay in Europe if possible and enroll in a new university. Today, his hometown, the second largest city in Ukraine, is practically destroyed. A few days ago, the municipal part of the city was destroyed. Plus, the university where I studied, where my father studied, Karazin University, founded in 1805, is now almost half destroyed, thanks to the Russian army. Arita is Russian. She is going to Budapest from Zaporozhye. She is 90 years old. She witnessed World War II when she was 10 years old. Then we had a German enemy, but now I'm scared that the enemy is Russia. Russia and Ukraine were once very close. Today, many Ukrainians are appealing to the international community to not be silent, but to act urgently. It's impossible to wait. Every day is very stressful. So many lives are lost. Their children who cannot eat normally. This is a tragedy and every family is grieving. And every day of delay is a tragedy for every family. We need to do something quickly. We really want to have some kind of support in this situation. We're on our own land and we have not invaded anywhere. We have not touched anyone. NTD News, Anna, Ukraine. 
Russia's invasion of Ukraine has claimed the lives of at least 227 civilians. That number comes from what the UN Human Rights Office recorded. But Ukraine's state emergency service said over 2,000 civilians have died. NTD is not able to independently verify the figure. Next, we hear from Russia scholar, author, and adjunct professor at Johns Hopkins University, David Satter. He gives his perspective on issues like the sacrifices Americans may need to make, the impact of sanctions, and the outcome of recent negotiations between Russia and Ukraine. We've gotten the latest news uh, simply that there's been, the most important is that there's been agreement on creating some humanitarian corridors uh, to allow uh, some people in contested areas to leave uh, so that they don't get caught in the in the fighting that's uh, that's taking place there. I mean, that's not big progress toward a settlement of this issue, but at least it will spare some human lives. And we've also got reports, of course, that the Russians are planning to conduct public executions in some in the cities that they take. Uh, I've heard an interesting uh, thing from. Uh, uh, the, the the Russian internet that uh, Igor Girkin, who was the defense minister of one of the so-called uh, independent uh, republics, uh, is saying that the Ukrainians are doing a much better job in reaching the Russian population with their uh, version of events than the Russians are. Do you think these new U.S. sanctions against Russian oligarchs are going to make an impact? Well, they'll make an, uh, an impact on the oligarchs, but the, the, the important thing is that uh, the economy itself is in a lot of danger. There are huge lines as uh, in the mega stores that exist in Russia. Oftentimes, they're branches of foreign stores, uh, and people are buying up everything they can get their hands on. There are restrictions on purchase of foreign currency. Uh, interest rates have gone way up so that people can no longer uh, buy apartments or houses. Uh, people who had planned on doing so just a few weeks ago find it's now impossible. Let's look at this in terms of the American people. Even in Newark, New Jersey, city council members were trying to stop the sale of gas from Russia-based Luke Oil, and some of the constituents in that area were saying, well, this is targeting us, not Russia. What's your response to this? Uh, it's a shame that people look at it that in such selfish terms. I mean, those who say it's targeting us. The reality is this is done for us. This is done for the American citizens. We don't want our soldiers going there and getting murdered by Russian troops. But we've got to be able to uh, accept sacrifices. And that means we've, there's going to be economic disruption and dislocation in this country. But that's a, a very, very modest price to pay to stop uh, you know, what is really a threat to world peace and what's a threat to our own security. The sanctions that stem from Russia's war against Ukraine could shrink the Russian GDP by 35%. That's according to J.P. Morgan. And in terms of the U.S. economy, there are five ways the Russian invasion could impact Americans, according to The Hill. Those are higher gas prices, higher food prices, travel restrictions, a more volatile stock market, and faster interest rate hikes from the Federal Reserve to combat inflation. Gas prices haven't been this high in nearly 10 years. 
The national average price for a regular gallon of gas climbed to $3.84 today. AAA says it's the highest since September 2012 and rising at a pace we haven't seen since Hurricane Katrina in 2005. They're expected to continue to soar as Russia continues its invasion of Ukraine. Nine states are already paying more than $4 a gallon, and the national average is expected to get there soon, too. Other effects of the war at home, Ukrainians already in the U.S. can now stay for up to 18 months. That's after the Biden administration granted them temporary protected status. The policy will likely benefit around 30,000 Ukrainians already in the nation. Most of them are either on temporary visas or have no legal status. TPS will also provide work permits to eligible Ukrainians. Applicants must meet all eligibility requirements and undergo security and background checks. The policy only applies to Ukrainians traveling to America before March 1st. Elsewhere, Immigration and Customs Enforcement announced it has suspended deportation flights to Ukraine. More than one million Ukrainians have left their country since the Russian invasion. In Wisconsin, the state Supreme Court approves congressional and legislative maps proposed by Governor Tony Evers. A court ruled in November that the maps would take a least changes approach. It said the Democrat governor's maps were the ones that kept in place the current district lines and that those give Republican majorities and make the least amount of changes to current political districts. Additionally, the court said the maps also satisfied the federal constitution's population equality requirement. Republicans hold five of the state's seats in the U.S. House of Representatives, while Democrats hold three. Evers said in a statement that his maps improve on those from past years, including those he vetoed from Republicans. He says he won't stop fighting for nonpartisan redistricting. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is expected to sign into law a bill that bans most abortions after 15 weeks. The state Senate passed the bill along party lines Thursday, It has already cleared the House. The measure only allows abortions after 15 weeks if there is serious risk to the health of the woman. It does not allow exemptions in uh, cases of rape or incest. Currently, Florida allows abortions up to 24 weeks without a mandatory waiting period. This means a woman can terminate her pregnancy the day she arrives at a clinic. If signed, the measure would take effect on July 1st. Arizona's Senate and West Virginia's House passed similar 15-week abortion bans in mid-February. San Jose, the largest city in the Bay Area, hit an unfortunate milestone this week. The number of pedestrian fatalities reached an all-time yearly high. NTD's Adelina Asultane has the story. Right across from this YMCA is a street that a pedestrian got hit Wednesday just before 4.30 on Coldwater and White Drive. Police hasn't released the victim's name, but we know that he lived only a couple steps away from this intersection. The individual driving the vehicle struck the pedestrian who was on the side of the roadway, apparently exiting his vehicle. The victim was taken to the hospital and later died due to his injuries. The police are actively investigating this case. They are asking for anyone who witnessed the incident to reach out with any evidence and urge the driver to turn themselves in. This individual is still not in custody and still out on the lam. We want him to turn himself in, first of all, for the benefit of the family to understand and recognize that there will be justice done for them and two, to resolve this situation. Officer Aponte said the department is working towards making the streets safe to walk once more. We focus on enforcement. 
We are going to go out and write citations. We're going to go out and tow vehicles for people who are driving recklessly. And we're going to make sure that people who have DUIs are put behind bars. Based on current numbers, this year has seen the highest number of pedestrian accidents compared to the same time last year. Just based on the numbers alone and the knowledge that I have of the stats compared to last year, the 10 pedestrian deaths we've had in the city of San Jose, we didn't reach this level until midway through June of 2021. The victim was opening this door to this exact car when he got hit. What the police is saying that we should all be very mindful when we get out on the roads, not just for the safety of ourselves, but for the safety of everyone around us. Adelina Soltane, NTD News, California. California's governor has unveiled a plan to offer more services to homeless people with severe mental health and addiction disorders, even if that means forcing some into care. If the individual is unwilling or unable to commit uh, to following through on that plan, there will be the capacity uh, to move into a different category of care and support more traditional along the lines of what we have today uh, through our LPS and conservatorship system. Governor Newsom's proposal would require all counties to set up a mental health branch in civil court and provide comprehensive and community-based treatment to those suffering from debilitating psychosis. People would be obligated to accept the care or risk criminal charges if those are pending. If not, they would be subject to processes already in place, such as involuntary psychiatric holds or court conservatorships. Many advocates for homeless people have opposed such a move, calling it a violation of civil rights. The program comes as 150,000 homeless individuals reside in the state. California's state budget has allocated $12 billion to address homelessness. Newsom seeks support from lawmakers to approve the program and for it to be launched as soon as possible. The Sackler family owns Purdue Pharma. They have reached a deal with several states to resolve widespread litigation. They are alleged to have fueled the U.S. opioid epidemic with their drug OxyContin. The Sacklers have agreed to pay up to $6 billion in cash. That money will be used in communities to help resolve a crisis that has led to nearly 500,000 overdose deaths over the past two decades. The deal was revealed in a court filing more than two months after a judge upended a prior settlement. That included a $4.3 billion cash payment. As part of this new settlement, eight states and the District of Columbia have agreed to stop fighting Purdue's effort to protect the Sacklers from future opioid lawsuits. The settlement still needs to be approved by a judge. The Sackler family has faced intense scrutiny, including investigations, lawsuits, and hearings on Capitol Hill. They said in a statement Thursday that they sincerely regret that OxyContin unexpectedly became part of an opioid crisis. The family members said they acted lawfully, but that a settlement was by far the best way to help resolve a, quote, serious and complex public health crisis. Coming up, a musher could make history this weekend when the Iditarod trail sled dog race begins in Alaska. The competitor is tied for the record for most wins. Stay tuned for more here on NTD News. (music) 
Several trucker convoys from different U.S. cities have converged in Indiana, the state known as the Crossroads of America. At their rally, turnout exceeded the venue's capacity, and the highway exit to get there had to be shut down. NTD's Jason Perry brings us more from the rally. This barn in Monrovia, Indiana, could not fit the thousands of people who showed up to attend the rally. Brian Brazi, the co-organizer of the People's Convoy, said the time is now. Every single truck driver around the world, now is your time to stand up and send a message to your world leaders and your governments that they work for us! And the attorney for the People's Convoy also got the crowd fired up. When you are staring at a locked and loaded double barrel full of hate and anger and tyranny that is about to do you in, you stand! A few medical doctors explained their views on the federal government's handling of COVID-19. It's up to us to take care of our own health, not a government. This is a government that has overstepped its bounds. These are healthcare agencies that have overstepped their bounds. It is time to restore freedom to this great land. There is no medical emergency anymore. If they tell you that, they are lying. Who's the boss in the doctor-patient relationship? Ryan said it. I'll say it. Any doctor who won't say it is a doctor that you need to be taking your power back from, ladies and gentlemen. Now that the rally is over, a couple of things stressed during the rally is that it's not a black thing or a white thing or a Republican thing or a Democrat thing. They say it's an American thing and that the government works for the people. The convoy is almost to D.C. and the next stop is Cambridge, Ohio. Jason Perry, NCD News, Indiana. The convoys are expected to arrive in Washington, D.C. this Saturday on March 5th. And if you'd like to watch the full version of the rally, you can visit ntd.com. Hawaii is lifting its strict entry requirements later this month. Starting March 26th, domestic visitors will no longer have to show proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test. Those steps were required to bypass a mandatory five-day quarantine as part of the state's safe travels program. The Aloha State's mask mandate will remain in place for the time being, though. Hawaii is the only state that has yet to drop its indoor mask mandate. International travelers will still be required to show proof of vaccination and a negative test taken 24 hours before departure. Dallas Seavey could make history when the Iditarod trail sled dog race begins this weekend in Alaska. He tied the record for most wins last year when he won the pandemic shortened race. And now he's looking to break out as number one. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Dallas Seavey has set his sights on a sixth championship in the famed Iditarod dog sled race. The competition will hold its ceremonial start in Anchorage on Saturday, while the competitive start to the race begins a day later in Willow. Yeah, we have a shot at six. That's exciting. Um, and I'm really stoked for this race. You know, this is uh, a big one for me. It's a big one for the Iditarod. You know, there's a lot of 
things that could happen. It could be a record number of wins, it may not. We may see a new champion in there. This year marks the 50th race after the inaugural event was held in 1973. CV is tied with racer Rick Swenson. Both hold five championships apiece. Swenson won his titles between 1977 and 1991. He last ran the race in 2012. These guys that could win the Iditarod were superhuman in my mind. And I honestly, I think it was a pipe dream until my dad won it. In 2004, when he won his first Iditarod, for me, it was the proof that these people that won the Iditarod were not somehow different. They were not superhuman, they were not demigods. But the single dad admits he was on the fence about running this year. And right now, he's more excited about spending time with his 11-year-old daughter. You get burned out because you don't feel like you have the option to leave. But uh, I think it's time to exercise that option, you know? I'm, I'm still excited about mushing. CV's not calling it retirement, but the attitude is to take racing one year at a time. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo speaks in Taiwan. He says the island should no longer be treated as secondary to communist China. He says it needs America's full diplomatic recognition. America's diplomatic recognition of the 23 million freedom-loving Taiwanese people and its legal, democratically elected government can no longer be ignored, avoided, or treated as secondary. It is my view that the United States government should immediately take necessary and long overdue steps to do the right and obvious thing that is to offer the Republic of China, Taiwan, America's diplomatic recognition as a free and sovereign country. Pompeo also said that Beijing sees it as its mission to bring Taiwan under its control and that last year's takeover of Hong Kong boosted its ambitions. Washington ended formal diplomatic relations with Taiwan in 1979 when it recognized the People's Republic of China, but has kept unofficial relations with the island. Communist China claims Taiwan is its own territory and has threatened the use of force to bring it under communist control. The U.S. Navy recovers the wreckage of an F-35 fighter jet that crashed into the South China Sea in January. The Navy says it recovered the aircraft from a depth of over 12,000 feet. It was recovered using a remotely operated vehicle that attached specialized rigging to the aircraft. Another vessel then used a crane to lower a hook to the sea floor. Together, they lifted the aircraft to the surface. The jet wound up on the ocean floor after a rough landing aboard an aircraft carrier during routine flight operations. It slid off the vessel and crashed into the sea. Its pilot ejected from the aircraft, and three sailors were hospitalized. The loss of the stealth fighter triggered fears the Chinese Communist Party would attempt to salvage the wreckage and reverse-engineer its technology. The Navy says the aircraft will be delivered to a local military installation and evaluated for transport back to the United States. Chinese state banks might be busier than usual as the Western sanctions push Russian businesses to find an alternative for international transactions. But could this impact the dominance of the U.S. dollar? Entity's Tiffany Meyer has more on the story. More Russian companies are opening bank accounts in Chinese banks. That's according to Reuters, citing a person close to the matter. 
The surge is happening amid the Russia-Ukraine conflict and as Russian businesses start to struggle under international sanctions. According to Reuters, the insider works at the Moscow branch of a Chinese state bank. He refused to be named since he's not authorized to speak with the media. He explained that nearly 300 companies have approached the bank, wanting to open accounts. Western governments are shutting part of Russia's economy out of the global financial system, pushing international companies to halt sales and dump tens of billions of dollars worth of investments. But China says it will maintain normal trade relations with Russia. A handful of Chinese state banks operate in Moscow. A Chinese businessman says he's witnessing a similar situation. He told Reuters that the logic behind the shift is simple. He pointed out that if you cannot use U.S. dollars or euros and U.S. and Europe stop selling you many products, you have no other options but to turn to China. That change could impact the U.S. dollar's dominance in global trade. Though Putin and Xi Jinping's announcement of a new strategic partnership on the opening day of the Beijing Winter Olympics did mark a breakthrough, China's support for Russia did not start last month. The two have long worked together to skirt or reduce the effects of potential sanctions for the U.S. and its allies. That includes strengthening trade relations, gradually reducing reliance on U.S. dollars, and attempting to build an alternative financial system. According to the Financial Times report, Russia and China recently secured several energy deals that are mostly settled using Chinese yuan instead of dollars. The two started using their own currencies for bilateral trade in 2010 and opened their first currency swap line in 2014. Since then, the portion of trade settled through yuan between the two countries rose from 3.1% in 2014 to 17.5% in 2020. Yuan was used to settle 28% of Chinese exports to Russia in the first half of 2021, compared to 2% in 2013. Russia also increased the weight of Chinese yuan in their foreign currency reserves from 0.1% in 2017 to 13.1% as of June 2021. In contrast, the U.S. dollar's weight dropped from just over 46% to 16% in the same period. South Korea began two days of early voting today for a presidential election in the shadow of the pandemic. Up to a million people with COVID-19 are expected to cast ballots during a spike driving one of the world's highest caseloads. President Moon Jae-in and the candidate from his ruling Democratic Party, Lee Jae-myung, cast their ballots in Seoul. The opposition party's Yoon Suk-yeol participated in early voting in Busan. Voters stood in a long line where a polling station was set up. Election workers in protective equipment, including face masks and shields, checked voters' body temperature. Voters are choosing a replacement for Moon, who cannot run for re-election due to term limits. Yoon got a boost on Thursday when a fellow conservative dropped out and gave him his support. This could tip the balance in the closely fought election away from the ruling liberals. The race has largely focused on seeking a leader to clean up polarized politics and corruption and to tackle runaway housing prices and deepening inequality that have dogged Asia's fourth largest economy. South Korea's government issued a natural disaster alert. This after a wildfire broke out near the Hanel nuclear power plant on the east coast today. President Moon Jae-in has ordered an all-out effort to protect the plant It has six nuclear pressurized water reactors operated by the Korean Hydro and Nuclear Power Company. 
Aerial footage shows smoke and flames in nearby mountains. Output for one of these six reactors was reduced to unstable weather conditions. Of the total, five reactors are currently in operation while one is under maintenance. The authorities have not said how far the fires are from the site of the plant. The fires have destroyed a total of 12 residential properties and three storage units. Up next, a joint mission between the European Space Agency and Russia to send a rover to Mars is potentially on hold amid the war in Ukraine, but its mission remains critical. Find out more after the short break. The European Space Agency says the planned launch of a rover in a joint mission with Russia to Mars this year is now very unlikely due to sanctions linked to the war in Ukraine. But the mission remains vital to determining if life could have existed on the Red Planet. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Also known as the ground test model, the Amalia Mars rover is the exact replica of the Rosalind Franklin rover. That vehicle had been set to go to Mars in the fall but has faced another delay due to the conflict in Ukraine. Amalia won't be going to the Red Planet, but her ground operations remain vital to the mission. It's uh, the exact replica that we use first uh, to perform all the, uh, what we call end-to-end testing, uh, to demonstrate that we are ready for, uh, for the real operation. And we will use during uh, the mission to um, recreate a difficult condition that the flight model might uh, encounter. The Rosalind Franklin's launch was already postponed from 2020 due to the pandemic and technical problems. Final tests were only in mid-February. A Mars terrain simulator was also created, where engineers could verify the rover's ability to move on various terrain. The Martian ground we have recreated here represents quite well the surface that we plan to land on during the ExoMars mission, but also the external conditions such as gravity that is different on Mars. We are also capable of simulating specific ground inclinations in case the rover should find itself in situations with different inclinations or obstacles, such as rocks. The six-month mission is part of the European Space Agency's ExoMars program in cooperation with the Russian space agency Roscosmos. The Rosalind Franklin rover is expected to land nine months after its launch. It will seek traces of current or past life forms by analyzing soil samples. The NASA rovers, uh, they had uh, problems with the soft sand, so they, they, went, they, they, they were buried in some uh, difficult conditions. So here in this mobility facility, we can uh, basically test uh, difficult conditions in terms of soil and recreate those conditions and step out from those conditions safely. Scientists believe Mars probably had water at some point, meaning there's a possibility life once thrived there. But those theories have yet to be proven. We know that Mars, from its morphology, has had in the past, and when I say past, I am talking about hundreds of thousands of million years ago, probably some liquid water, so rivers or lakes. And it is presumable that if there were these conditions, there were also some forms of life. We don't know which ones, but it is a possibility. So this project has been built and assembled in clean rooms with this goal in mind. So far, only five American rovers and one Chinese rover have been able to land on the Red Planet. If successful, Rosalind Franklin will be the first European-Russian rover to operate on Mars. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
World number one tennis player Ash Barty withdrew from the Indian Wells and the Miami Open tournaments. She says her body has not recovered after her January triumph at the Australian Open. The 25-year-old Australian has struggled with shoulder, back, and foot injuries during her career, in which she has won three different Grand Slam events. She wrote on Twitter that her body had not recovered the way she had hoped it would after the Australian Open. She said she doesn't believe she's at the level necessary to win the events. Barty's opponent in the Australian Open final, top-ranked American Danielle Collins, also withdrew from Indian Wells on Thursday, citing a continuing injury. The Indian Wells main draw begins next week, with the Miami Open following at the end of the month. Are you experiencing headaches, dizziness, or nausea? Well, it could be your eyes. On today's health segment, we're going to look at a common eye condition called binocular vision dysfunction. Here's Gina Marie, who brings us Strong Mind and Body. BVD, also known as binocular vision dysfunction, is a common eye disorder. You may have visited your primary care doctor with several of the symptoms, only to be told it's all in your head. Or you may have seen your optometrist, only to be told no change since your last exam. You search for answers near and far, but the trouble persists. What on earth is going on? The range of symptoms for BVD varies from dizziness, headaches, anxiety, neck pain, reading difficulties, nausea, unsteadiness, head tilt, motion sickness, and anxiety with driving. And the list doesn't stop there. So what is it? BVD is simply a tiny misalignment of the eyes. In other words, your eyes are not acting as a team. In the early stages of BVD, your body seeks to correct the misalignment and it works for a while. But the longer you have BVD, the less the body can cope. The more the eye muscles are used to correct it, the more chance there is of eye strain and the variety of other symptoms mentioned earlier. Do you see a red line? Oh, there it is. Dr. Debbie Feinberg is an optometrist from Michigan who stumbled upon this disorder. Back in the mid-80s, her brother-in-law-to-be alerted her to his vision problems. She asked the right questions and a new science was born. It is called neurovisual medicine. By now you may agree that you have some of these symptoms, so what causes it? People are apt to think it's related to their migraines, sinus issues or ADHD. But it most commonly is the result of facial asymmetry, where a person is born with one eye higher than the other. It can also be an eye muscle weakness or a concussion or brain injury, which makes this not uncommon in athletes involved in contact sports. Sometimes it is due to a stroke or similar neurological disorder, or can lead to learning difficulties. Dr. Debbie Feinberg took optometry to another level with neurovisual medicine. She made pioneering discoveries in the diagnosis and treatment of BVD. Her clinical evaluation goes above and beyond a routine eye exam and is specifically designed to detect BVD. So, is it fixable? Absolutely. She has published her findings in many academic articles where she outlines the positive effects of using prismatic lenses in the treatment of BVD. She has published a variety of success stories submitted by patients on her website at vision-specialists.com. The world is grappling with many crises, but some say they find hope in a classical Chinese dance performance called Shen Yun. I'm half Ukrainian. 
So right now I'm very worried about the Ukraine, but this gives me hope. Shen Yun travels around the world with one mission, reviving traditional Chinese culture through the arts, but it goes deeper than just creating a beautiful display. It's kind of thinking about what was going on in our world today, it's all over the news, and so um, just seeing the beauty of love and compassion and the art form, it, it was kind of a nice little break, actually, in my mind of simpler times. I don't feel like I have any worries in the world right now. Weightless. I feel like I can fly. It made me feel that there's hope and that we're back to some semblance of being normal again. I think that there's a lot of darkness in this world. And I think anyone that tries to bring light into it is, 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 is doing God's work. Ancient Chinese culture is said to be divinely inspired. However, these values were systematically destroyed since the Chinese Communist Party took over. I just, I love the beauty, the, the, the wonderful philosophy that came from it, the message that most Western cultures don't get out of China today. And honestly, I didn't know that so many Chinese were, were that spiritual because the CCP doesn't allow that to get out. If you want to be entertained with some beautiful dancing and beautiful costumes and to be educated on the Chinese culture, I would definitely say come take a look at it. NTD News, New York. Thanks for watching. At NTD, we're honored to be your source for the news. Catch us again tonight at 6.30 Eastern. In New York City, I'm Kevin Hogan.